0: This is good. All right. Well, uh, we are today. We're going to take a break from our series in the Book of Acts, um, and we're going to do a little, take a little time to focus on uh, the Christmas season. And so, as as Pastor Joshua read for us earlier, we'll be coming from John chapter one, verses one through fourteen. John chapter one, verses one through fourteen. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping on your nose, Yuletide carols being sung by a choir, and folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some, oh y'all can help me preach already, help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow, they'll find it hard to sleep tonight. Because they know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is going to spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. And so I'm offering this simple phrase to kids from 1 to 92. Although it's been said many times, many ways, a very Merry Christmas to you. What comes to your mind when you think of Christmas? Is it the chestnuts roasting on an open fire? Is it Jack Frost snipping on your nose? What comes to your mind when you think of Christmas? You read Matthew's account and Luke's account of the gospel. You have the manger scene, you have the shepherds and, and the wise men. But yet, when we come here to John's gospel, We have Christmas without the nativity. John opens his gospel by saying, I want to show you Christ. And so today we simply want to focus on the Christ of Christmas. Here's what John says about the Christ of Christmas. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. In order to understand this passage well, we have to make sense of this term, the word, or the logos in the Greek. A person's word, just think about it, is the means by which he or she reveals what he is thinking. Through, through words, we understand a person's logic. It's through words that we express ourselves. In the Old Testament, we hear this recurring phrase. When God spoke to someone, it would say something like this, and the word of the Lord came to so and so. And this was the word of the Lord. Whenever the Old Testament heard, referred to the Word of the Lord, it was simply God revealing Himself, His person, His nature, His will, His wisdom, His truth. And so, what we find out here for John, he says that Jesus, who is the Word, is the ultimate self expression of God. Jesus is God unveiled. Jesus is the ultimate. Revelation of God. Here's how the Hebrew writer said it. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. John is simply saying that the revelation of God is now incarnate. That, that word incarnate means to be embodied in flesh. And my brothers and sisters, friends, this is what Christmas is all about. God the son becoming a man. Think about that. God becoming a man. And so what, here's what John, if John was a Baptist three-point preacher, here's what his first point would be. He would say, look with me, first of all, at the pre-incarnate Christ, before he became flesh, pre-incarnate Christ. He said, the first thing I want you to know about the pre-incarnate Christ is that he is pre-existent. He is pre-existent. Look, look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word. The first three words would have immediately caused a Jewish reader to think back to Genesis 1 and 1. Genesis 1 and 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice that the text does not say that in the beginning, the word came into being. No, 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 no. Rather, it asserts that the word was already there in the beginning. The apostle John here is intimating for us that Christ predates Genesis 1 and 1. In other words, Jesus was already in existence before existence came into existence. <laughs> Friends, there was never a time when the word was not. Yeah. The word always was, the word always is, and the word always will be. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, here's why the pre existence of Christ is uh, essential. It's essential for two reasons. First, it confirms for us that Christ was not created. No, 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 no. Christ was not created. Here, listen. If Christ was created, then he would have been less than God. And and if he was less than God, then he would not have been the perfect sacrifice necessary to atone for the sin of the world. Furthermore, if if he were a created being, then he would not be worthy of our worship. Matter of fact, if Christ were not preexistent, and if Christ were a created being, then we would all be guilty of sin. Remember, Romans 1.25 says that God's wrath has come upon the unrighteous because they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Secondly, the preexistence of Christ matters because it means that the word is eternal. If the word is eternal, eternal, then the word has to be God. This is John's point. His aim is simply to confirm and confront his readers with the truth that Jesus is God. So Christmas is a reminder for us, church, that the eternal one has entered into time. He says, John says, I want you to know that he is preexistent. Not only is he preexistent, but he is also coexistent. Look at the word. He says, in the beginning was the word, and then here's the B part. And the word was with God. The literal translation, friends, is, um, and the word was toward God. T-O-W-A-R-D. The idea is that the word was face-to-face with God. The word was in face-to-face communion with God the word had perfect fellowship with the father friends the significance of the coexistence of the word is that the word is distinct from the father god the father god the son two distinct persons we 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 have a glimpse now into the trinity the three-in-oneness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we don't serve three gods. We serve one God in three persons. And this is significant because there has been heresy throughout the history of the church that said wanted to preserve the oneness of God, and they said that God uh, is one, but he manifests himself in three different modes, M-O-D-E-S. So what they did was they reduced the Trinity to one person and one nature. They said there's just one God, but in the Old Testament, he manifested himself as the Father. In the New Testament, his mode was the Son, so he could be Redeemer. And now, post-redemption, he is manifesting himself in the Holy Spirit to be our sanctifier. But church, friends, that is heresy. We serve One God and three different persons. And each person has an essential, different role in the Godhead. What's the difference between person and nature? Person deals with the who. Nature deals with the what. What the, The nature of a person is what they are made of. But the person is the one who actually acts. Natures don't act, people act. So so he says here that God was with God to let you know that God is distinct from God. Is, Is this still necessary for us even today? Yes. Because Jehovah's Witnesses, they will come knocking on your door. And Jehovah's Witnesses deny Jesus as God and therefore deny the Trinity. Mormons deny the divinity of Jesus. They think we're all becoming little gods. Many people have even become Muslims because they don't understand how the Trinity works. Friends, if Jesus is not God, then he is not the Christ. And if he is not the Christ, then Christianity falls apart. If Jesus is not God, then our faith is in vain. The good news, though, is that Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, he's not a God, but he is God. Everything that the father is, the son is. Everything that the son is, the father is. They got the same nature. He says he's pre-existent, he's co-existent, but watch this. Not only is he pre-existent and co-existent, but he's also self-existent. I'm in this text, y'all. Y'all just don't know this, but this is probably the best sermon I've ever preached. I'm preaching this thing. He says, by, by, by saying Christ is self-existent, what I'm saying is that the word does not rely or depend on anything or anyone else for existence. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, he says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that, that was made. Everything depends on Christ for its existence. Which means then that Christ doesn't depend on anything for his existence. The Word is the agent of creation. You watch this. In the beginning was, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis one and one, and the heavens and the earth were they were without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. You remember that, and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Y'all know what happened? And there was light. In the first three verses of the Bible, we, we are exposed to the Trinity. In the beginning, God. What does God do? He creates. And then, so the, the earth is out form void. And what does the text say? It says that the spirit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, it was just hovering. So we see the Father, we see the Spirit, and then God speaks the Word. And when God speaks the Word, things come into being. When God speaks the Word, order is brought out of chaos. This is not what John is going for. This is free. I'm going to charge you for it. It's too cold. But here's whatever chaos is in your life, the Word can bring order to it. He, the word, friends, he is self-existent. He he doesn't depend on anything or anyone. Not only is his self-existence evident from creation, but it's also evident in life. Verse 4 says, he is the life. Mm -hmm. Notice, Jesus didn't receive life from any other source. The word is the source of life. That's why Paul, that's why it says in Acts 17 and 28 that it's in Christ, in him that we live, move, and have our being. Everything owes its existence to Christ. Therefore, friends, all creation, including you, is to worship her creator. Christmas should be a reminder that without Christ we would not exist. Therefore, we owe him. During this season, our best praise and our best worship. So we see that John says the Christ of Christmas, he's the pre-incarnate Christ. He he, he has always been. But then not only is he the pre-incarnate Christ, but he's also the promised Christ. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not the John who is writing the gospel of John, but this is John the Baptist. You know, the one who would baptize Jesus. John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ. His job was to prepare the way of the Lord, to get ready for, to, and to announce the, the coming of the king. Notice what the text says about John. It says he was sent. From God. Apostello. He he notice who takes the initiative. It's God. God sent John. God, God takes the initiative in announcing to men that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. God is the grand mover. He's the grand initiator of our Salvation. he takes the initiative here by, by, by sending. This, this is the modus operandi of God. He is a sending God. Friends, this is why this is significant. Without, if God stopped sending, there would be no saving. Without sending, there can be no saving. All right, all right, you don't trust me. I'll earn your trust. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? How can they call on whom they have not believed? And and how can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can he preach unless he is? Who sins? God. Notice here the process of salvation. He re- Paul in Romans uh, 10, he, he, he reverses that thing from, he says, you can call and you'll be saved. By the way, he says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. You missed a good spot to shout. That was the shout of the sermon. Whosoever. That means you with your low down dirty self. I know your mama told you, the you best thing. You, you, touch, you touch an angel. No, you are low down sinner. Now, what makes you so great is that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. He says you can call and you will be saved. Yes. Hallelujah. You, but I can't call you, unless I believe. And T, I can't believe unless somebody come tell me who I need to be believing about. Yes. So I got to hear. Yes. But I can't hear unless somebody come and start talking to me but and they can't talk to me unless the god above first sends them yeah, yeah. See, see that's what i'm saying if god doesn't sin then we can't be saved god operates the way he brings people to salvation is by sending other people to hear the good news that jesus christ has died was buried and rose on the third day and if you can believe you will have eternal life yeah. that's what god does he says i am going to send john the baptist here's the significant thing about this God had been silent for 400 years. He spoke to the Old Testament prophets, and then he went on hush mode. And for 400 years, they didn't hear from the Lord. Question, this is free. Can you handle the silence of God? You, you can deal with that. that doesn't be another sermon. But God sends John the Baptist the man who prophesied. But not only do we see the man who prophesied, but then we also see the mission of the prophet or the mission of the sent one. Look at verse 7. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all men might believe through him. The mission of the sent one was to give testimony that the light of the world had arrived. His job was to speak about Christ. He was to make much of Jesus. That's why John explained to his own followers that he says, I have to decrease so that Christ will increase. I think John, friend, is a great model for us. Just like God sent John, Christ has sent us into the world. And our task, our duty is to be a witness about the light who is Jesus Christ. Christmas should be a reminder for us to point people to Jesus. Am I here by myself? It sounds like it. Christmas should be a reminder for us to point people to Jesus. My friends, we live in a dark world. And what this dark world needs is the light of Jesus Christ. How do I know we live in a dark world? There are wars and rumors of wars. Celebrities, think about it, celebrities who have fortune and and fame, are committing suicide because they remain in in darkness. Every day, there's a report of some high-profile murder. Murder, excuse me. My friends, this is a dark world. And what the world needs to hear is that there is light. That that's our task as sent one. So so John says the Christ of Christmas is the pre-incarnate Christ. He's also the promised Christ. But not only is he those two things, but he's also the present Christ. John ends the prologue of his gospel by teaching on the incarnation of Christ. He says in verse 10 that the light came into the world, the same world that he made. he, He entered into the world. And then all of a sudden text becomes tragic. Here's what the text says. He came into the world, the world that he made, and the world did not recognize him. This Christ who is with us, when he came, he was first rejected. Look, Look at his rejection. He says the world did not know him. That word no means to have personal, intimate fellowship with. The world did not have a relationship with him because, generally speaking, it rejected him. And John says in verse 11, he says, he came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. Look at the evidence of the darkness in the world. He came to his own people, the Jewish people. But yet they rejected him because they they did not know him. They refused to believe that he was the promised Messiah. Despite the report of John the Baptist, they rejected Christ. Despite the report of the Old Testament prophets, they rejected Christ. Despite the signs and and miracles that he performed, they, they rejected Christ. To reject Christ is to reject eternal life. Here's what Jesus said in John 17, as he was praying to his father, he said, this is eternal life, that they know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The world that he made rejected him. But there's hope in this text because while we see his rejection, we also see his reception. There there, there was a remnant, friends. There was some who did not reject Christ, but they received him. But what does it mean to receive Christ? John makes it clear that to receive Christ is to believe Christ. Look at verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, to all who received him, who believed in his name, to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. To believe in his name does not, believe, does not mean to believe that his name is Jesus. To believe in his name was to believe in his total person, his character, his, his attributes. It was to trust that Jesus was the son of God. And that he was the promised Messiah who died on the cross. To those who believed, they received a change in status. Instead of being an object of God's wrath, they were now children of God. Notice, friends, the exclusivity here. This is not popular preaching in our day and age because we don't want exclusivity. We want inclusivism. People want a pluralistic religion. But this makes it very clear that Christianity is exclusive. It's only to those who believe that are the children of God. I, I, when I, I remember when I was working at Liberty Mutual, I don't know how we got on religion. You're not supposed to do that. But we were talking, somebody said something, well, you know, we're all God's children. Yeah, I was good, by the way. I didn't, I, I didn't pipe up or anything. But in my mind, I was like, oh, no, we're not. I am. I'm a child of God because I've received Christ. And that's the folly of the world. They think they are a child of God. But unfortunately, only those who believe are children of God. And, and, And to those who don't believe, they are an object of God's wrath. To those who don't believe, they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Friends, think about that. Think about the people that you are hesitant to engage in a spiritual conversation because you're afraid they're going to think you're weird or crazy or Holy Roller. Now picture them burning in hell. Is your reputation that important? The good news is that, that all who receive Jesus are born or again. Are born from above. They become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Friends, Christmas is a reminder that God has a gift that is available for whosoever. And that gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that gift can only be received by turning to Jesus Christ and him alone by faith. Friends, Jesus is the greatest gift ever. We see when Christ comes, we see his rejection. We see his reception. But look finally with me at his residence. Look at verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means tabernacled, to to pitch one's tent. When Jesus came, God tabernacled among us. That's what Christmas is all about. God becoming man and entering our time and space. Christmas is about the invisible one becoming visible. Christmas is about the infinite becoming finite. Friends, this is the miracle and the mystery of Christmas. God became man and pitched his tent among us. He literally took up residence Thank you, Thank you, among us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But Dunn is here is arguing. He says, I've showed you in the first part of my prologue Jesus is divine. That Jesus is God. But that's not all. Not only is Jesus God, but Jesus is also man. Jesus is the God man. Friends, don't, don't miss this. The humanity of Christ is significant. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says this: "Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise, partook of the same things." What same things, flesh and blood. Why? That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Friends, in other words, Jesus had to become man in order to die on the cross. Jesus, If Jesus doesn't become man, there is no death on the cross. Without the death of the cross, there is no salvation of sin. Without the salvation of sin, we're all guilty sinners in front of a holy God. And if we're all guilty sinners in front of a holy God, my Lord, But thanks be to God that God cloaked his glory in flesh so that he could go to a cross to save you, you, to save me. And Jesus, friends, remember in the Old Testament, they had this tabernacle. And oftentimes, we would hear of something called The Shekinah. The Shekinah was the glory of God. It it was in the tabernacle that the glory of God dwelled. In the tabernacle, the glory of God resided. And so John says the same way that the the glory of God dwelled, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, so the glory of God dwells in Jesus now. God manifested himself most clearly when the Word became flesh. The glory of God is simply the visible manifestation of the presence of God. If you want to know God, if that ain't Jesus, turn it off. I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Friends, if you want to know God, get to know Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Here's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is the the, the truth that Jesus is the revelation of God. God desired to reveal himself so much that he um, humbled himself to become a man. I think another lesson for us as we get ready to close here. I think another lesson for us in regards to the incarnation, God becoming man, is that I think this is God's heavenly pattern for earthly mission the incarnation is God's heavenly model for earthly mission if we are going to be missional people a missional church missionaries then we have to become an incarnational people we must learn how to become incarnational to the people we want to reach We we must enter their time, their space. We must go where they go and stop expecting them to simply come to us. They ain't come to us no more, y'all. Look. We must go to them. That's what Jesus did. He left the glory, the comfort of his heavenly abode and entered into the nasty, sinful realm of the world. God. Angels all day long worship him. Holy, holy, holy. Pure. And now he's born in a stable with some stinky animals. God. I think I said this last year. My father-in-law said, think about it. God at one point had a dirty diaper. Ain't that right, (laughs) Liam? Think about that, church. God. You want to talk about the humiliation of a person? God pooped on himself. That's humility, friends. God, they wouldn't even give him a nice crib. Some little trough where animals feed. God. And now everywhere he turns, there's sin all around him. God. He, He goes from holy, holy, holy to crucify him. God. That's incarnation. If we want to reach people today, we must become an incarnational people. We have to bust our Christian bubbles, friends. I know this is not popular. We've got to bust these Christian bubbles and go and be incarnational. Go out the comfort of heaven into the dusty streets. God, y'all. Think about it. God, the infinite one. God. Now he's got arms and legs. He can only walk so fast now. He can only reach so far. This is the humility of Christ. God, the all-knowing one, now had to grow in stature and wisdom. This is the humility or humiliation. That's incarnation. And God did it so that we could be saved. He did it for the sake of the gospel. And so, yes, I'm going to tell you this. So, yes, you may find me on a Monday night watching a football game at the Hill Bar and Grill. And I'm at the bar. Incarnation. I ain't getting drunk, don't worry. It's sin. I didn't say become sinful. I said incarnate. Amen. Jesus came a man, incarnation, but yet he was sinless. I'm not asking you to become immoral. Right. Amen. Incarnation. That's heaven's model for earthly mission. That's why when missionaries go overseas, they have to learn the language of the people that they want to reach. That's why even with my master's degree, I can still talk hood to (laughs) y'all. What up, bro? I I can do it. That's incarnation. But I can also go into Eastboro and act like I got it all together incarnation The Christ of Christmas. He's pre-incarnate. Worship team, come back. Before anything ever was, Christ was. And he's the one who's been promised from generation to generation. As John the Baptist did, so must we point people to Jesus. And then we must stand in awe and adoration of this God who humbled himself to become a servant so that he could die on a cross and that you and I might be saved. Now, John says, that's the Christmas story. I love the nativity, but he says, this is the Christmas story. Let's not take Christ out of Christmas. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing.